Did you know that there are five key biohacks to start to do right now to reduce your body's inflammation, to slow cellular aging, and of course, reduce oxidative stress status. I even just recently wrote a paper on this. Check out my recent research articles over at theschoolofradiance.com. Head on over to the research tab. And while you're there, be sure to book your one-on-one -on -one session with me, if you haven't yet already, for even more customized skin and rejuvenation guidance, as well as some biohacking and detox protocols that I personally do myself. Don't forget to check out my free 30-minute masterclass over at theschoolofradiance.com. Check out the freebie section, enjoy that video, and also enjoy today's episode on the School of Radiance podcast. All right, let's get into the second episode with the lovely Dr. Bessie Greenleaf. And we are both actually going to share how we stay balanced as busy professionals and the importance of holistic health to promote optimal beauty. During your time as training as the first female ever urogynecologist in the U.S., how did you stay balanced? Yeah, I think it's very difficult because as doctors or even just any kind of busy professional, you tend to put your career before everything else. So it's very hard, I think, to focus on yourself or, or you put your family before yourself, before yourself. So I think what ended up happening is I wish I could say, come to you and say I had some big enlightenment about taking care of myself, but I really think it ended up happening where I was a stress eater. And so when residency was tough, I would find myself making a little beeline towards the cafeteria to go get a donut and then head back to what I was doing. So I'd always been very thin and I gradually put on weight during residency. And one of the key things I think was when I couldn't buy clothes in a regular store anymore that I was like, whoa, that's it. That's enough. I need to start looking into what I'm doing to myself. And that really was probably the first moment that I really said, started looking into not just dieting and, and the idea of dieting or, or, you know, the old school eating less, but eating for health. Um, during medical school, when I thought I was being healthy, and now looking back, I think one of the worst things that ever happened was um, the American Heart Association, which they do wonderful things. But at that time, in the late, uh, probably early 90s, the American Heart Association diet was all about um, low fat, no meats, carbs are good for you. And I'll tell you, in medical school, I actually put on 75 pounds because, hey, I'm eating healthy. I'm eating bagels. That's low fat, low fat bagels. But it wasn't until I would say residency that I really started looking into these things. And that's when Dr. Atkins was coming out. And I remember reading his book and the South Beach diet and kind of really looking more at health and wellness and diet. And then really, I wasn't even exercising because I didn't have the time. And now actually trying to work in the time. And even during residency, I wasn't very good at all this stuff. I don't think I really became really good at it until probably the last year or so. Um, because I did the same thing in in my 
practice is I just go, 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 work late hours. You know, I w- my biggest problem was I would say to myself, I'll exercise when the work is done. And what I've learned is the work's never done. There's not enough hours in the day. There's always something else you can do. So really what I have to do now is I take my calendar and I schedule exercise into my calendar because, and I say to myself, that's my time. Doesn't matter what else is going on. That time is mine. And because there's so many ways to be like, all right, well, you know what? Maybe something popped up and, Oh, I'll go take care of that first. And then I'll go exercise. No. Cause if you do that, it is never going to happen. So actually putting into my calendar was one of my biggest tricks to make sure that I did it and not put it off. So, you know, the other thing was I would, you know, schedule my exercise in the morning. And I think for some people that's really great, but I would do the alarm would go off in the morning and I'd hit snooze. Because I go, oh, I could get up and work out or I can get another half an hour or hour of sleep and I would hit the snooze. So for me, I've figured out that even though I like, I know I feel better when I do it in the morning and I get up and it gives me energy, I'm more consistent. If I can, for me, I schedule it later in the day just because I know that I'm going to be more consistent. And um, actually, even I've made my husband kind of my accountability partner where um, you know, if I start putting things off, what I tend to do, I've asked him to gently remind me like, all right, are you keeping to your schedule? <laughs> so when I say gentle, remind me, cause there've been a couple of times and he's like, keeping your, your schedule. And I'm like, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> you know, so I hear um, you on that gentle reminder piece because <laughs> men aren't always the most sensitive yeah, when it comes yeah. to that. <laughs> Especially when it's frustrating because he could go work out like two times and you see the difference. I could be working out for like months on end, like not seeing, you know, an external difference. But, you know, I know internally I'm, I'm much healthier. So It must be so interesting for you as a physician to have seen that shift in the quote unquote ideal diet. Yeah. And, you know, and I see and it's been interesting, too, because you there's new information all the time. I mean, going back to the American Heart Association diet, that's in the 90s, you know, with, oh, fats are bad, fats are bad. And now we look at it and we're like, no, fats are not bad. Let's like have our grass-fed beef with our grass-fed butter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, in... Um, I'm not I saying that's just, bad. I mean, it's, yeah. it's very delicious, but just not yeah. every night. Yeah. I think, you know, really comes down to, and I've done every diet on the face of the earth, but I think it really comes down to everything in moderation. Mm-hmm. You know, I see value in almost every diet that's out there, but I think the problem is not every diet's for every person. Exactly. So, um, you know, I have friends that do the keto diet and they do great. I can't do that. That, you know, interesting enough, um, I think gene what we're finding out about genes is very interesting now. And I recently did a gene test and I found out that I genetically have an issue with processing fats. I can't process fats genetically um, as well as somebody else. So I tend to get sick if I eat too many fats, like I get gastrointestinal sick. 
I increase my, my healthy fats in my diet, but I do it in a way that's a little less intense than the keto diet. Other people I know do the keto diet, do great on it. You know, I've had, you know, people do the paleo diet. For me, I think it's really just moderation. And um, I know, especially for me, I've increased my vegetable intake in the last probably six months, like more than I've ever had before in my life. And for the first time in my life, I'm like, I crave vegetables. I'm like, it seems weird, but it's like, I feel so much healthier when I eat vegetables. And when I go out and I don't really want to call it cheating, but when I go out and enjoy myself from time to time, eating something that's probably would be considered a little bit less healthy, I feel that the next day I'm like, ooh, I don't feel as good. So then I, you know, just kind of get back on things. But um, I think with dieting too, and I, I can speak from experience, is that I was really hard on myself that if if I did eat something quote bad and got off my diet I'd be like oh I screwed up I might as well keep going where nowadays I realize you know what you gotta kind of let yourself go a little bit because they've actually scientifically proven that if you restrict yourself you're actually creating a process in your brain that now when you eat like say you say oh I'm not gonna eat chocolate chocolate's a bad food um and then you cheat, now you've created a process in your brain where you get an increased release of dopamine from that chocolate because you've made it a restricted food and now it actually becomes a reward and now you crave it even more. (laughs) So they found that scientifically not restricting yourself and not not calling something a bad food because – you know, there are good chemicals in chocolate. So you're not going to go eat 20 pounds of chocolate in a sitting, but, you know, not calling it a bad food and being like, okay, I can have a little bit here, a little bit there. Then you actually get rid of the cravings. You don't get cravings and you won't have that dopamine release that now um, rewards you for eating something that you've restricted yourself from. Or if you're looking at satisfying a craving that you have, at least maybe find a healthier, cleaner option yeah exactly substituting it for something with something else so I agree with that Mm -hmm. I actually last year was hired to be a model for a week-long photo shoot on an 11 acre private island in Belize and to prepare it was really fun to prepare for that photo shoot I met with a lovely nutritionist here in town her name is Ellie Short I adore her And she put me through this 200-point questionnaire to help me identify which foods I should be having more of and what I should be having less of and maybe what to try and what to try and cut out. It was fabulous. She basically figured out that the paleo was the way to go for me. And I don't really follow any diet completely strictly because, as like you, I believe in moderation. And so I would have the odd day where I would have more carbs here or, you know, have a treat here and there. But you're right, not making it bad. But if you feel like having something, have it. But if it is something higher calorie, then just make sure that you are exercising. Yeah, I think it's just balance. It's totally. just balancing a little bit of everything. You know, I, I, I see it. I have two daughters who are 9 and 11, and I've never said to them like this is bad food but somehow that message gets out and they'll come home and from school and they'll be like 
they want something like, oh, but that's bad for me. And I'm like, I keep trying to tell them nothing's bad. It's just anything. You know, if I ate 20 pounds of broccoli, that would be bad, you know, like or 20 liters of water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> even more so water would that much water. You would have water toxicity. That you would, would be die. very bad. <laughs> Everything in moderation and just finding the diet that works for you that you can stick with and just just being overall healthy. My next question for you is how did you turn off your brain during med school? especially during your really intense examination periods and after what did you do then versus what did you do now? And I know now you are a very multi-passionate entrepreneur. (laughs) You're kind of like me. You love doing things all the time and you're constantly getting new ideas. Like randomly I was taking a shower two days ago and I had this amazing idea and I know that happens to you too but All the we, time. We have to work <laughs> at turning our brain off. So what did you used to do in med school versus what do you do now? I think in medical school and residency, I didn't really understand how to do it. Um, I think back then I spent maybe a lot of time watching TV. Um, not that that's a problem, but I th- I wasn't as efficient as I am now. I think the other thing was there was a, probably a lot more of going out in partying and drinking, which, you know, just ended up wearing yourself down more. But I think what I could take out of that is the social interaction. I think I did a lot more social activities, which I think are great, but I think I wasn't doing it in the right way back then. Now, I still like spending time with friends, spending time with family, because that's another thing that's difficult to schedule. You know, there's always this drive in me to be like, all right, I'm going to go do something fun as a reward when I get all my other stuff done. Well, there's, you know, you're never going to get everything else done. But so now I, it's all about scheduling. I had to, I schedule time in with friends. I schedule time in with family and I make sure I stick to that. But on a daily basis, what I find is I am one of those people who's always coming up with something and coming up with the next brightest idea that I want to start and like how many websites do you have I currently have three online businesses and then my medical website and then forget about how many different social media things for each one of those so it's a it's a lot and I you know and of course I came up with another business in my mind the other day and I'm like oh I'll start that but you know I need to to focus and I find that my brain I call it my brain spins. I lay in bed and I, and nighttime is the worst for me because during the day I'm busy. So when I lay in bed at night and I find a lot of my patients tell me the same thing is that it's hard to go to sleep. I'm always thinking about, okay, what do I got to do tomorrow? What do I got to do the next day? What am I, you know, and then things pop into my head about, oh, this is a good idea. I should do this. So I have found for me, what works great is I bought a nice pair of wireless headphones. Um, I have nice little Bose headphones with like little soft ear things. I put them on at night 
I have my cell phone that I turn on. I don't try not to look at it because I don't want that light stimulating my brain and keeping me awake. Um, and no, that's another thing. I try to not be on the computer after eight or nine o'clock at night um, or any kind of cell phone or tablets because the light is very stimulating to your brain and actually can worsen and keep you awake. But I have hypnotherapy apps. I love Amazon um, music because I get that. I guess I can listen to things for free. And I have found a lot of um, hypnotherapy uh, albums that I listen to. Uh, I love actually one of my favorite one is Deepak Chopra. He's got a whole bunch of albums and I love listening to his and Honestly, I put those headphones on and I'm probably asleep and it seems like less than two minutes because it just gets me to stop thinking and I focus on something else and next thing I know, I'm asleep. So that's for me works the best. I've done that before where I've thrown on meditation tracks and then they just kind of keep playing while I sleep and then I actually have a terrible sleep. So what do you do? Does it just Uh automatically turn off? You know, I have had a couple ones where they'll turn off when, like the Amazon one, it'll turn off when it gets to the end of the album. I've had ones where they play throughout the night. Um, I tried that recently. I was like, I don't think I slept at all. (laughs) I think what ends up happening is a lot of times, even sometimes the headphones start to bother me in my sleep and I end up just taking them off. Mm. But uh, I tend to go more with Amazon lately because of the music tracks and then we'll, we'll end you know after a certain amount of time and you could probably even set how many like minutes you're listening to you prefer the guided meditations really my favorite one is Deepak Chopra the secret of healing that's Wonderful. my absolute favorite and as a physician you recognize the importance of body mind spirit alignment don't you Yes, yes. I think also part of my medical training as an osteopathic physician is that we tend to look at the whole body as a unit and the body-mind. I mean, you can't really separate those. So, you know, you can't be healthy unless both, both are healthy. Sometimes when clients come in and see me, they will say, when I ask them how they are, they'll say, oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm busy. I'm really good. It's almost like a badge of honor. But I find that the clients that have the reply of I'm busy are less beautiful than the clients that tell me about these awesome things that they're doing in their lives. Do you find that too? I I definitely, I definitely agree with you. You One of the things I tell people all day long is drink more water. And I find when I'm busy, I don't do that myself. Not too long ago, I had neck surgery and I had nothing I could do but sit on the couch for two weeks and watch TV. And start so, another business. And start, yeah, and start more businesses. It was the one time that I was like, I need to drink more fluids to heal. And not only, like, I was drinking more fluid than I've ever drank in, in my life. And I noticed my skin looked so much better. My skin looked the best it's ever looked in my whole entire life. And my husband, 
you know, laughs at me because I'll complain about things with my skin. And he always tells me, drink more water, drink more water. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I saw it firsthand. Like when I increased my water intake, how much better my skin looked. And I'm sure from your standpoint in the aesthetic field, if anybody is going to do any kind of treatments, you know that those treatments for skin tightening and and skin rejuvenation, they work much better if you're hydrated. So not only like just being hydrated in general going to make you look more beautiful, but if you're going to do any of those kind of treatments to improve your skin, you're just going to get better results. And doing all the inner stuff ahead of time. Yeah. Doing the work for your body, mind, spirit to get those balanced as best as you can. Because what I found is you can't really rejuvenate. I don't want to say this the wrong way, but a trouble or tired soul. Sure. Someone can come in and I can make their brows and their eyes look more open and their smile look better. But if that inner vibrance isn't there or they're just, you know, maybe full of a lot of negativity and there isn't much light and brightness and happiness and love inside, it's really fascinating how that translates and actually makes it very difficult for me to provide impactful rejuvenation on those clients. Now, I agree because if you think about it, you think you're in charge of your body, but you're body is really in charge of you your mind is in charge (laughs) yeah yeah your mind so like if if there's something going on you're not taking care of yourself or mentally um it's gonna come out it's gotta come out some way and if it's not coming out in a mental way it's gonna come out in a bodily way and if that's not like disease or bad skin or like different symptoms, aches and pains. There's a lot of connection between chronic pain conditions and underlying unresolved mental, I want to say mental issues, unresolved mental. I know where you're going with trapped emotions. You know, the technique, neuroemotional technique. Yes. I love that. I always do that with my holistic healer. It's the best thing ever. She asks me these random questions and I hold my arm out and I respond and I'm either a really, I have a really strong response or I'm just like, whoa, why is my arm so weak? I have a friend who just, she's a psychotherapist and she deals with chronic pain patients and in all of her patients, she's able to reverse their pain, not by dealing with the physical part of their body that's in pain, but dealing with the mental and emotional, you know, she helps them to kind of recognize them and bring them out. And it's interesting how the body will release pain and let go of that. And I find for whatever reason, so I think the problem is, is that you're as a young woman, child, you're taught to be nice, be nice. And being nice, maybe not complaining or not getting mad. And so those emotions have to go someplace. And I think with women, they tend to internalize a lot of those emotions and it just comes out in other ways. It comes out in these other health conditions. And so once we can kind of learn to recognize and face our emotions and and figure out healthy outlets for that, then not only are you going to be healthier, but your your skin's going to be better. Your I've seen, 
I've seen people lose their hair from stress, like literally. I mean, your body has to do something with that pent up energy and it's going to come out in physical, in physical symptoms, if not, if not mental symptoms. So, you know, I think all over that's going to make someone more uh, healthier and, and more beautiful if they can learn how to deal with that aspect and try and try different ways to release those, those emotions. Mm -hmm. If we had been having this conversation 10 years ago, we would be completely laughed at for what we just said. Yeah. And now the stuff's on Netflix and guy.com and (laughs) I know it's all, I thank goodness though, you know, finally everywhere, (laughs) all those holistic healers back in the day that were considered quacks. It's like, well, you know, they were the ones doing these, this NET and people were just looking at them sideways. And now it's like, everyone's doing it. And it's interesting being an osteopathic physician is that, you know, even though in the United States, MDs and DOs are the only doctors that can uh, prescribe medicine and do surgery. And so the D, so as a DO, an osteopathic, I was always looked at as not being a real doctor. Even in the United States, I am a real doctor. So, but it, you know, in, in our teachings are big on whole body and it's funny to see how things are changing and now the mds are starting to get into the whole body mind body spirit medicine now which but is their college just, will want to revoke their license <laughs> so you know what i mean like there's yeah. gonna be this really cool shift and i'm glad that i've seen that in do but it's not quite there yet with md no, I think it is happening because you're it seeing is, yeah. a lot more seminars that they're having it, where, I mean, this was the stuff I was trained in years ago. And it's just, and in fact, from an interesting historical standpoint, um, the first osteopathic doctor was an MD. And in the late 1800s, what was happening is a lot of the medicines contained mercury. And he was seeing people dying from mercury poisoning. And he basically came up with osteopathic medicine. His name was Andrew T. Still. He's like, there has to be a way to get the body to heal itself. And he studied the body, the muscles, the joints, like the whole body and figured out a way to get the body to heal itself and not use these poisonous medicines that were around at the time. So it's interesting to see how that happened. And then, and then take it a little further. One of his students then took it into chiropractic medicine where he, his student took it all with using, um, muscles and bones adjustments and manipulation to heal the body. So there are little like ways that medicine kind of, diverted over time but it's all i think eventually going to be coming back together so uh, many paths leading to wonderful outcomes yes Mm -hmm. yeah I, i actually the episode before you and i was an interview with a physiotherapist that i connected with in portland at a wonderful hay house heal event where we spent the day listening to dr joe dispenza who's featured in the heal and emotions on uh netflix and gaia so people like this that were kind of regarded as quacks five, ten years ago, it's now like it's mainstream now, right? Yeah. I think it's great. I love to see even like the acupuncture becoming so mainstream too. I mean, it's just amazing. It's it's great that all these different healing modalities now being accepted 
and more people realizing the value behind them. Do you want to know something really funny? I finally got my mom to experience acupuncture last year because I had told her how much it helped me with a, a tailbone injury that I had. And she was like, oh, Rachel, I will never do acupuncture. She probably said it just like that, too. She's very <laughs> uh, traditional Christian. Yeah. And I think for some reason, she just thought that traditional Chinese medicine or acupuncture was like a little too out there to the woo-woo. But she doesn't understand that this form of medicine has been around for like thousands of years. So there's yeah. that. Isn't that hilarious? You know, and I think it was interesting in the last uh, Olympics, too, to see the, um, I remember seeing the U.S. swim team with these big, you know, round lesions on them. Right. And they were getting, what is it, the moxibustion, and, uh, which is an ancient form of, of healing. I don't know too much about it, but it was like, wow, look at that. They're doing that. Like there's it's so many different healing modalities that, you know, people just completely overlooked because of traditional medicine. And now everyone is starting to kind of incorporate it into what they're doing to be so it's pretty, balanced. Yeah. Look it's very interesting. Yeah. What has been your experience with going into the float deprivation tanks? I absolutely, I like trying everything. So there was a float deprivation tank that, that started business in New Jersey. And it was interesting. My chiropractor recommended it to me and I was like, oh, you know what? Let me I'll go try it. So it's, they're fascinating. So if, and if anyone doesn't know about it, there it was actually developed in the 1930s. There was, I, think, I don't know if it was a psychologist or psychiatrist that was doing um, experiments with putting people into these tanks <laughs> that back then looked like almost like, like these coffins, but it's totally different now. And putting them in with water um the float tanks that i go into there's like 900 pounds of epsom salt dissolved in 10 inches of water so what ends up happening because of the amount of salt it's almost like going into the dead sea you just naturally float so the idea is when you're floating there's no sensory input because there's nothing pushing on your body and you're in this room that's completely dark where I go to the floats too, you can turn the lights on or off, but I decided to experience the whole thing. You turn the lights off, no visual input, no set, no noise and no input from pressure on your body. And you just lay there for 90 minutes. So my very first experience was a little weird because you're laying there and like I said, my mind spins and I've never really been good at meditation because of the fact that my mind is spinning. And um, But just to lay there and all of a sudden just to feel this, like, I, I think I started off going, okay, what am I supposed to feel? What am I supposed to do? What time is it? Is it almost over? Because you have no clue what time it is. <laughs> uh, so the first time... I think I probably, who knows how long I laid there. It seemed like forever. And I'm going, okay, what am I supposed to do? And then all of a sudden, I just started to become very quiet. And I started focusing on my own breath. And I never really heard my own breath before. And then 
I just, I don't know if I fell asleep. I don't know if it was meditation, but I just felt this big like release. And next thing I know, they, they turn the lights on to let you know that you're done. And I get out and I felt so incredibly amazing afterwards. And I think it was the combination of, you know, without all that sensory input and in, in today, you know, we have work there's TV, there's computers, there's tablets, there's so much stuff going into our brains during the day that your brain just needs a time to be quiet. And the float studios just give you that ability to just be still. And I just felt so rejuvenated and amazing. And then on top of it, Epsom salt contains magnesium, and most of us are magnesium deficient, which could also lead to poor sleep and, and a lot of other health conditions. So when you're floating in this uh, Epsom salt tanks, you're, you're actually absorbing some magnesium through your skin. So that also makes you feel very good. Um, the other things magnesium can help with is anxiety, depression, sleep. So this is a, a nice way to do it. So I, I try to go to the um, float studios as much as I possibly can. But I find that each time I go, I get better and better at being still and, you know, different things pop into my mind. And, you know, I think it's, it's a form of meditation when you're just being still. It's just, I found that when I sit in a room in my house, I have a hard time meditating because I hear the birds outside. I hear the cars go by. I hear everything else going on. And I still start thinking about like, okay, what do I need to make for dinner? And what do I got to do tomorrow? But when I'm in the float tank, I can just let it all go. And I just, I really feel so much healthier and balanced afterwards. I would love to try the float tanks at some point. One of the ways that I balance myself is to actually go to really isolated places in nature. On Vancouver Island, we have this beautiful inlet. It's called Todd Inlet. It's just past Bouchard Gardens, which is the world famous garden on the West Coast here. It's unreal with all these beautiful flowers and it's massive. But if you go further down into that inlet, you don't get any traffic noise and you just hear the sounds of nature. And if you want to get even quieter, you can go to the very hippie island called Salt Spring Island and you can climb this, this mountain called Mount Maxwell. And literally, I could see that being in the float tank could be a little could be a little disorienting because when you're in nature and all you hear are the leaves and the trees and nothing else and no road noise, it's a very unique experience for me where it actually gets to the point where I crave that. It's so nice to be able to have those really quiet places in city centers in those float tanks. It's wonderful. So you don't have to you know, drive to the ferry terminal, take a ferry, hike a mountain to get into places that are that quiet. You know what I think is amazing too is the mindfulness movement how that's become more mainstream too. It's and totally that, trendy. And did you know, my daughter who just finished third grade, her teacher was absolutely amazing. They created a mindfulness room in their school. So, you know, I find it very amazing and exciting that mindfulness is becoming more popular. Uh, I found that even my daughter, who just finished third grade, her teacher was very into this, and 
actually was teaching the kids in class mindfulness. And they created a whole separate room in the school called the Mindful Room where there was nice soft chairs and things for them to sit on the ground where the kids could just learn to sit and just be and like listen to their bodies. And my daughter would come home and tell me about how she would learn to like focus on her breath and in different forms of breathing and just to be in the moment and it was it was fun because here's a third grader telling me about this and and I started myself going I need to do that more and I find out I find that when I'm with my family and spending time with them that I try to be very mindful of every little moment because especially with kids, they, they grow so fast. Or if I'm out in nature, I try to focus on, like you said, all, all the things like the smells, the sounds, the, you know, just the general feeling. I actually, it was funny. I not too long ago went to a Metallica conference, uh, concert with my husband I've seen them live too (laughs) I love it (laughs) but here it was funny I decided that here I am in this big you know stadium with all these people rocking out and I decided I was going to close my eyes and be like mindful and just almost like feel the energy of the crowd and it was really interesting because I'd never thought of to do that before and it really felt good I was like wow that's really cool is that your first metal show you know it was my second it was my second one I'm not a big concert person but my my husband's very into music and actually it's funny because both of my daughters have music related names and he had taken me to a Metallica concert years ago when we were dating and they were it was probably the best concert I've ever been to. They are just amazing performers. And so when they were coming back around, I was like, all right, I don't care. Like, let's, you know, I don't. Those guys are in their sixties and they rock out for like three and a half hours. Absolutely amazing. I don't know how they do. And I was tired at the end of the concert. What I was really (laughs) amazed with is how down to earth they are because both concerts I went to, they stick around at the end and they stay on stage and they greet their and they greet their their fans, and I was like, "That's really nice." So I was really impressed with them. I think <laughs> some metalheads can get a bit of a bad rap. Yeah, yeah. So I saw Cher recently, actually. Oh, really? We're actually taking our kids to their first concert. We're going to see the Rolling Stones. Fabulous. <laughs> yeah, I was in Calgary a few weeks ago for a big injectable conference. Actually, it was a national conference. And it was very fitting that um, I ended up going to see Cher in the hotel elevator. One of the band members from the opening act called Chic. So I don't know if you know Nile Rogers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's touring with Chic right now. And so they were the opening act and they were able to give me a couple of tickets for some fellow nurse injectors and myself. And we saw Cher. She's like 73, 74. I know. I was going to say, I know she's as old as my parents. And I'm like, she's she's moving like she's in her 50s. I don't know how. I don't know what her secret is. She's doing all this life extension stuff. Yeah. She clearly like there's no way that she is moving that way in her 70s. Like we see clients in their 70s all the time. And some of them are more vibrant than others. It's it's amazing. Isn't it, though? So I'm sure she's doing all this stuff. I hope to be like that when I'm that age. Very inspirational. I'll tell you just seeing her like 
feminine magnificence on stage was quite moving, actually. That's amazing. That is that is wonderful. <laughs> and I think she really loves it. And same thing with Niall Rogers. He did a, a little um, blurb about how he was actually really sick a few years ago. And I can't remember what type of cancer. I think it might have been uh, pancreatic, which, as you know, is very oh, aggressive. Yeah. And I could be wrong, but I think that's what it was. Something in the abdomen and basically, he was given a pretty poor prognosis, but he thought, you know what, I'm just going to keep performing, and this makes me feel good, and he's in complete remission now. That's absolutely amazing. So absolutely you know amazing. stories like that of people just tuning into their body and doing what their body wants and what lights yes. them up and what balances them, and they just intuitively realize that something is going to heal them, and they do it. Yeah. Love it. Mindfulness for the body. Mindfulness yeah, for yeah. beauty. There you go. I should coin that. Anyways. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I digress. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of How to Stay Balanced as Busy Professionals and the Importance of Holistic Health to Promote Optimal Beauty. All right, everybody, be sure to listen to all four of these episodes with the lovely Dr. Betsy Greenleaf. And there's also a bonus one at the end where we talk about CBD and skincare. Okay, so in the first episode, we're going to ask Dr. Betsy Greenleaf what it was like to become the first board certified female urogynecologist in the US. Yes, the first board certified female. It's a big deal. In the second episode, we are both going to share how we stay balanced as busy professionals and the importance of holistic health to promote optimal beauty. In the third episode, Dr. Betsy Greenleaf and I are going to explain the differences between a gynecologist and a urogynecologist and also some tidbits of information about female rejuvenation. In the fourth episode, Dr. Betsy Greenleaf and I are going to discuss the impacts of CBD on our bodies, where she is going to explain to us in a really in-depth way how CBD actually works and some of the latest research that is coming forth in regards to its use with anti-tumor, anti-inflammatory, and also as a pain reliever. And in the bonus episode, we are going to have a little bit of an off-the-cuff discussion on CBD in skincare and how, uh, you know, it's a bit of a fad and you are going to get our two cents on that as to health professionals and how we would suggest you go about looking at CBD in skincare and what to avoid and what to look for. And where can people find some of your products? If you go to drbetsygreenleaf.com it'll have a list of all my other websites that you can go to um you and can find your, them that's your real last name yes my last name is greenleaf so that's why i kind of felt a little bit obliged to start my greenleafgear.com so, <laughs> i was like i had to take care of, i had to take advantage of the last name so. <laughs> oh that was very uh, uh forward thinking of you well thanks so yeah. much for sharing and We'll chat soon. We're gonna, going to actually get a chance to meet in San Diego in I know, I a few weeks. Wait. It's going to be it's, it's going to be amazing <laughs> at Mindshare Summit, which is uh, a top international health entrepreneur gathering. I yeah, can't wait to connect be- with another group of amazing souls. I mean, you're you're wonderful. I could tell right away when we first started chatting that you're just a wealth of knowledge and just wanting to help people. So thanks so much for doing the work that you do. All right. Thank you so much.